Greetings, Greater Life. Hannah and I are doing fine. Love to hear from our pastor every day. We miss them and our church family. I miss the church so much I rode over today just to see the progress that was being done. We are anxious to get back together with our church family. Love everybody. Gary and Ann. Love y'all. Hello, Greater Life Church. We miss everybody. We, we love, love y'all. Hi, Greater Life Church. We just wanted to say that we love and miss you guys all so much, and we cannot wait to see you all real soon. Love you. Bye. Bye. Love you, Greater Life. Oh we miss you so much, Greater Life, and we cannot wait to be back yeah. with our my church family my and hug each and every one of you. We love and miss you so much. Say bye. So bye. bye. Say I love you. I love bye. you. Hey, Greater Life. We're just here to tell you how much we love you and miss you and how thankful we are for you. People like Brother Ethan and Sister Lauren who have continued to reach out to us to check, check on us to make sure we have everything we need. Brother Clyde T and the music and the choir and just all of y'all, I'm so thankful for y'all that you continue to lead worship every service even when nobody is there. Um, Sister Stephanie and Brother Tony, we love you and miss you so much. Sister Whitney, Brother Davis, we love y'all so much, and we just, we miss every single one of y'all. We can go on and on and on about how much we miss you and love you, but we are praying for every single one of y'all, and we just want to know that y'all to know that we have y'all on our hearts, and we cannot wait to be all together again. Church family, I love you. I miss you. Uh, I miss our fellowship and our time together. Uh, you strengthened me every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we get together. I'm always strengthened and encouraged by your love, by your prayers, your support. Uh, there's no love like the love of the church family. I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to be a part of it. We continue to pray for you. We love you. Also, I want to just make a huge shout out to the joy and the laughter and the smiles that Brother Landon and Sister Shara have done and just the encouraging word that they keep doing. Sarah and her Bible studies and then driving around in the Mickey Mouse outfit and everything. And there's just nobody like them and just the joy that they have brought us. We love y'all and we can't wait to see y'all again. Greetings to all of you tonight. I join Brother Landon in thanking you for being a part of our service in this new environment that we're living in. I am thankful for technology that allows us to stay connected in a time when it's so easy to become disconnected. Grateful that uh, you are continuing to hold up uh, under all of the circumstances. And I'm thanking God that I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, soon we'll be able to join again together in our wonderful sanctuary. Very possible we could be in our building and start our first service back in our new facility. We'll try to give you an update on that tomorrow at our noon podcast. Uh, just wanted to thank all of you who have reached out to others and 
be mindful of the needs of our church family. It is so important that nobody feel alone. And tonight, I am very grateful that I can bring my brother. I've asked him to speak to you tonight on a subject that I feel is very vital and pertinent to the hour in which we live. And so welcome him, if you can, and uh, let's open our hearts to the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, greater life. It is a great honor to be able to speak to you tonight. If you will go with me to the book of 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, I will read verse number 6 and number 7, and then we will go to Psalms chapter 4 and read the entire psalm. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons, for his daughters, But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. And David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. Psalms chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing Selah? But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say who will show us any good. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than the time that their corn and wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Looking at verse number 6, David says, There'll be many who say who will show us any good. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. And I want to speak to you for a few moments tonight about uh, learning how to encourage yourself. You can be seated if you're standing at home while you read the Word of the Lord. The Psalms that I have read to you tonight is connected to the passage in 1 Samuel. David is in a very stressful environment. We don't have time to go into the detail of the struggle that David was found himself in, but It was a problem that developed because David made bad choices and failed to inquire of the Lord before he made those choices. When the event is over and David and his men return home, they discover they've lost their families, their children, their wives, every possession they've had 
they've lost everything. They have nothing. And the grief of that day was so incredibly difficult. The writer of Samuel tells us that uh, they wept until they had no more strength in them. And then they began to murmur among themselves. The people that's spoken of here in Samuel and in Psalms are actually what are called 600 mighty men of valor. This is David's army and David's personal uh, army that he had gathered. They were often called the outcast of their world. He had gathered men from all walks of life and They had had incredible victory, but now they've had an incredible defeat. And they've lost everything they've accomplished up to that time. It appears if this was written when David was at this particular time in David's life, and I believe that that's when it was written, it would appear that David is a very young man at this time. He's not even 30 because he hasn't become king yet. And here's this young man, uh, less than 30 years of age, and he's in a position that will mark the rest of his life. He's got to make some decisions that will have a long-lasting effect. And to do so, he has to think about all of the consequences of what's happening and how to go about handling the different situations that he's involved in. It's not an easy thing for him to do. The easiest thing would have been to become very angry, and the Psalms indicates that he did, because in the first verse, the three verbs that are used there are all imperative. He, he's not casually saying to God, hear me when I call of God out of my righteousness. He's literally screaming at God, God, I demand that you listen to me right now. I am in trouble. I need you. And the instant he screamed at God, God didn't abandon him. He didn't turn his back on him. God is never offended by our questions or our emotions or our anger. God doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. So when I make bad decisions or I say things that I later regret, God doesn't hold those things. He's not like us humans that hold grudges. He allowed David to get incredibly angry, but what he did was he triggered his memory, and he caused David to remember some times in his life when he was really in trouble, and God enlarged him when he was in distress. That was probably the time of a bear and a lion when he could have easily been devoured, but the Lord gave him the ability. He created a door where there wasn't a door. He, he provided escape for him. And then David repents, have mercy upon me, hear my prayer. But his anger hadn't gone away. He starts saying to these men, oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you seek after leasing? How, how long are you going to enjoy the spoils of, of war and what we've accomplished? But the instant a problem comes, you... You get angry and, and you turn on me. And, and then God seems to prick David's conscience again. And now David realizes 
He makes a statement, stand in awe and sin not. This psalm is often called the psalm of grief because in it, David addresses the five stages that grief grows through, and he addresses how we can overcome these things if we'll just let God direct us through it. When he encouraged himself in the Lord, Samuel tells us that he called for the high priest to bring the ephod. And when the priest brought the ephod, that was a reminder of the blessings of God and what God had done for them. It was when they picked it up, it reminded them of how they were delivered from the Egyptian bondage. It had stones on it that represented all kinds of things that happened in their lives. And it was a reminder. It was actually to be worn by the priests, but the priests, because there was no tabernacle, it had been destroyed by the Philistines at Shiloh, and there was no place of worship at that time. It was just something that was being passed, and the, and, and the priest had it, and somehow the priest that's with David, he has it, and he brings it to David, and he uses it to remind himself of what God has done. Paul, writing to the church, Philippi says, uh, as he's reminding them, of life, he, he nearly finishes his writing, and chapter 3, he begins by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And it appears he was about to end his letter, but something pricked his mind, and, and so he continued it. And when you get to chapter 4, you discover he says it again Rejoice in the Lord. Philippi is the place where he was beaten and put in prison and left there uh, after a beating. And he, at midnight, he and Silas begin to sing in a Philippian jail. And as they begin to sing, the Lord caused an earthquake to open the prison. They could have escaped, but they chose not to. And as a result, a great revival happened in that city. So he's writing back to them, reminding them that I was in your prison, and I set you an example. I showed you how to worship no matter the circumstances of life. I, so, I, I demonstrated to you the way to rejoice, not dependent upon if this is a good day or a bad day, or am I having a good time or a bad time, I want to show you that no matter what circumstances life bring, you can rejoice if you choose to. And then he goes on to explain why rejoicing is so important, because it's my ability to rejoice that actually allows me to understand that I don't have to be careful for nothing, but in everything giving thanks, or don't be anxious about life. Don't let life cause you anxiety. Be careful for nothing, and everything give thanks. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind. That is an absolute. That's not a possibility. It's not a maybe so. It's not this possibly could happen. It is a fact that the peace of God will guard my heart and mind. So no matter what life does, if I put my trust in the Lord, 
It's what the psalmist said. I will put my trust in the Lord. He trusted in God. And when I put my trust in him, it gives me the ability to look past the circumstances and sometimes even to look in the past to remind myself of all the difficult things God has brought me through. And if he's done it before, he's going to do it again. Jesus told his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even in the world. And he's never violated that promise up till today. God is not shocked by where we are or what's happening. This didn't catch God off guard. It's just part of life. And God is still in control of every circumstance of our life. He still is the peacemaker. So when the psalmist says, stand in awe and sin not, the literal translation literally translates to tremble violently with rage, to be so angry that your body shakes. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Think about what I've said. Don't go to bed with anger or fear in your life. If you do, there's going to be problems as a result of it. Don't allow life to distract you to the point where you can't see anything other than the problem. And that's easy to do, especially when you hear all the negative reports of the news and people and it can cause panic. But I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of another world. And my father has never abandoned his children. He's never forsaken them. He's never left them out in the cold. That same psalmist said, I once was young, but now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bread. And as Paul has addressed to them about rejoicing, don't let anxiety cause you a problem. Remember that God's peace will surround your heart and mind. It'll keep your mind from being tormented if you put your trust in the Lord. And then he says, here's what you have to do. you got to change the way you think. You think about things that are lovely, things that are good, things that are a good report, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are love, whatsoever things are good. Think on these things. The psalmist said, There may be many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of thy countenance upon us. The literal translation of that passage of Scripture literally translates, Lord, smile at me. I searched today to see how many times in the Old Testament that phrase was actually used. And I discovered that it was used many times in the Old Testament. It first showed up in Numbers chapter 6, verse 25. And it says, Lord, make... The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. In Psalms 31 and 16, it says, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Psalms 44 and 3. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thy arm, the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor under them. Your smile, God, is what got me through this. Chapter 66, verse 1. God be merciful unto me and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us 
Selah. Psalms 80, verse 3, 80, verse 7, 80, verse 19. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Psalms 80, verse 19. Turn us again, O God, of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Psalms 89, 14 through 18. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Daniel 9 and 17. For therefore, O God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication. Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Why? did the psalmist and the writers of the Old Testament refer on a regular basis to the light of thy countenance? Or God, smile at me. How do you know God's smiling at you? If God has blessed you, if God has brought any kind of blessing into your life, you know God is smiling at you. I think Jesus let us know a little bit about it and one of the statements he made in the 25th chapter of Matthew, the 4th, 44th and 45th verse, he said, Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when shall we thee and hungered or thirst or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily, I send you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. If we're made in God's image and we respond to his creation, then he's responding to us because he declared what you do to them, you've done to me. Now, Andrew Newberg, in his book on how God can change your brain, makes some incredible statements about discoveries that were made by science and the brain. Fear is a God-given emotion. You cannot live life without it. God put it there. The problem with fear is it has torment. And if I'm not careful, I can let fear control me or dominate me and cause me problems with my relationships with life. I, I can live a life of, of total panic, or I can live a life of an overcomer. I choose. No one else makes that. However, every one of us had the ability to encourage other people to do that as well. Andrew Newberg discovered that fear and anger reside in the brainstem, or in the part of the brain called the limbic system. And it's part of our basic animal instinct. It's the animal part of our life. It's the survival part of life. It's, it's not the living part or the healthy part. It's the animal part. It's the part we revert to when things are not going well and we start living that way because 
we're becoming more like an animal than we are human. We're not living the nature of God. We're living the nature of man or of the base man. Andrew Newberg discovered that the way we can help other people is to smile at them. He's discovered that the human smile turns off fear and anger in everybody else without their permission. If someone is angry in your presence or someone is terrified in your presence, you can instantly turn off that mechanism without their permission. You don't have to ask them, can I do this? You have the ability to shut it off without their permission. And the way you do that is simply to smile at them. The human smile shuts down all our defensive mechanism. It causes us to feel as if we're accepted. It causes us to feel that we're valuable, that we're loved. There's nothing more contagious than a human smile. There's nothing more contagious than fear. But I have to choose which one I use. Now, if this is what God has given us the ability to do, could it not be that me smiling at someone who's in panic and shutting off that mechanism in their life will also cause God to smile at me? I would think that that's probably what's happening when God smiles at me. I haven't let circumstances or life cause me the difficulties that it can out of fear and panic. When the psalmist said, this is the day which the Lord hath made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. If you study the psalms carefully, you discover that the majority of the psalms were birthed out of some kind of chaos or difficulty. Almost every psalm David wrote came from some kind of difficulty in his life. And it was those difficulties that made him or caused him to look at life and, and, and to respond to life differently. I was sent a text message yesterday from a friend that was a quotation from C.S. Lewis written in 1942. And it's taken out of some letters that he wrote at that time. And in the statement, he says, and, and I'm trying to, I, I'm not quoting it verbatim uh, because I don't have it in front of me and I didn't memorize it. But he basically said that there's a conversation and Satan's side of a conversation is like this. I, I will cause fear. I'll cause panic. I will cause distress. I'll shut down the schools. I'll shut down uh, the sporting events. And I will bring all kinds of chaos into people's lives. I'll destroy the economy. And God's response was, I will use this as an opportunity to cause you to sit down at a dinner table more often and get more connected with one another. I will use this as a time to remind you of what's more important. It's not your what you have possessed in life that's important. It's who you have affected in life that's much more important than 
than the things that you you are able to receive or, or to experience or to accumulate or buy. It's not money. It's not wealth. It's my ability to connect with the people that are important to me. And unfortunately, according to the numbers I read not long ago, well, and now it's been quite a while, like probably 20 years now, 19, late 1990s, a statistic came out about the health of American families, and it said that 98% of American families were dysfunctional. That number has not been revised since then because they knew it kept going up, so they just refused to even address it. If that is the case, which it appears to be, this is an opportunity for us to fix some things in families that kind of got pushed aside. We got involved in other things. So I would encourage you to do some things. I would encourage you when you see panic in somebody else, smile at them. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not seekers. He gave me the power to create peace. And I have it inside of me. You have it. You want to help somebody's life? Then give them the ability to smile. About 20 years ago, I noticed that families were under an incredible amount of stress and, and people would come in to, to talk and, and there was a, a, a lot of sadness and that their faces weren't happy. They, they didn't have any signs of joy. And so I started asking a question. The question I started asking these couples repeatedly over time was, when's the last time the two of you just had fun together? The response quite often was, what do you mean? When's the last time the two of you laughed together, enjoyed a, a, a good conversation, or, or just had a, enjoyed being in each other's presence and had a good time? There was laughter involved. There was a smile involved. When's the last time? The earliest answer I have gotten in the last 20 years is three years. Most of them were five years, seven years, 10 years when our last child was born 19 years ago, we've forgotten how to laugh. We have forgotten how to rejoice. You want to be in, to encourage yourself? Then you're going to have to look at what God has done for you. We can do that. All of us have the ability to, or, or we can listen to the panic. If fear exists in your life, it only says one thing. When fear shows up, it emphatically declares, I don't trust. I have a problem with trust because fear is the fruit of suspicion. And suspicion is the replacement for trust. When trust disappears, instantly you will survive. So your brain is going to start producing these crutches that we use to, to just exist and suspicion is going to happen. If I can't have a conversation with you, if I can't see your face and your smile and I can't talk to you about things, I, I'm going to become suspicious of your behavior. I, I don't know how you think. I don't know what you believe or feel. The only way I know that is conversation. And when I lose my ability to have a conversation with you, 
I will lose my ability to trust you. When I lose my ability to trust, it's over. From that point forward, survival kicks in, suspicion shows up, and the fruit of suspicion is fear. It is impossible to be afraid without first being suspicious. When when fear resides in the heart of God's children, first thing it indicates is that I don't trust God. I don't think God is capable of getting me through this or out of this. And as a result, when I lose my trust in God, then all of a sudden all the other things start showing up. Fear shows up. Panic shows up. Anxiety shows up. Those things live long enough, they start affecting everything. It becomes physiological. It starts affecting everything else about my life. And I'm going to start having other emotional issues as a result of my inability to trust. If I want to encourage myself in the Lord, I have to do what the psalmist said. And let's read that one more time. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in stress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. I have to remind myself, I'm his kid. I have received his spirit, and I've been baptized in his name. The name of Jesus was called over me in baptism. I've received the gift of the Holy I'm a child of God. As a result of being a child of God, I need to know I belong to him. I don't belong to anybody else. When one of the writers, I believe it's Peter that wrote that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation. That word peculiar doesn't mean you're weird, you're, you're, you're unusual. It literally would translate that he owns the title deed. He bought the deed to your life at the cross, and Satan can't lay any claim on your life. So when you become a child of God, you're his. You belong to him. And when you belong to him, I have to reassure, I have to remind myself, I'm a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I have the ability to conquer these things if I choose. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness. Put your trust in the Lord. The sacrifice of righteousness is the price you pay to do what's right. Some things are difficult. To love people that don't love you back, there's a price that has to be paid. But you can still do it in spite of whether they love you or not. You have that ability. But you, we, we, if we want God to smile at us, then if I haven't done it to the least, I haven't done it to him. So if I want God smiling on me and me understanding, I've got to start looking at all those people who are around me and I've got to start choosing to smile on them so that I can in turn calm the fear in their life. God didn't create us islands. We, we don't live good alone. We need each other. So God made it 
where if one of us sees another one in a problem, I can help get them out. Simply, I don't have to say a word. I just have to smile. And I remember as a kid, we used to sing some songs about smile a while and give your face a rest. We, we, we sang songs about if you're happy and you know it, say amen. I challenge you as families of greater life tonight, I challenge you, smile at those people who are around you. Laugh. Find some things to laugh about. You know, you can laugh about bad things. Now, sometimes things that are really bad in life, you you can still smile about them. You may not at the event when it happened. I can give you a good example. In 1993, when I cut my fingers off, and I'm in an incredible amount of pain, my dad panicked and ran in the house, and and, and Leanne says, what's wrong, Dad? And, uh, and, and Dad said, well, James hurt himself. And so she comes to the back door and says, what's wrong? And I said to her, I cut my fingers off. And her response was, are you sure? And my response was, yes, I'm sure. It's laying right there between my feet. She didn't say another word, just turned around, went in the house, got a bowl and ice and put it on ice. Called. She was the only calm one in the place. So God created it so that we're both not in chaos at the same time. Now, I've heard several reports, not one, several, probably 15 or 20, of when one person's having a bad day, the other person's having a good day. That's God. That's what God's doing. And if we learn to smile at each other, that's how we learn to encourage ourselves. It might work best if you'd go practice in front of the mirror. Smile and let yourself see your smile. You may need to understand you have that ability. It turns off fear. It turns off anger. And a person cannot be afraid or cannot keep experiencing fear or anger once some human smiles. It's impossible. Brain shuts it down. So let's learn how to enjoy life and laugh. This is a good time to start laughing, play games together, do things as a family that can cause laughter. Laugh about the simple things, the funny things of life. Laugh about it. God gives us many opportunities. If you don't, then I'll be asking you the question, when's the last time that the two of you had fun together? And you'll be saying, I don't remember. Five years ago, ten years ago, wow. Paul lets us know we've got to balance our life. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I beseech you that you walk worthy of vocation with your call. The word worthy comes from the marketplace. It's a term used to describe the purchasing of an item at the market. You bring your meat, your fruit, your vegetable to the owner. You place whatever you're buying on one side of the scale. The owner places Waits on the other. When the bar's level, you paid a worthy price. So what Paul literally said is, I beg you to balance your life. The balance to bad times is good times. The balance to the chaos is all the fun. If you haven't enjoyed life or you haven't created enough good memories that you can laugh about, you have no resources to handle the difficult things that are coming. However, you can start right now creating laughter, creating joy, 
When Paul writes to the Philippians, he said, rejoice in the Lord. He didn't, it wasn't dependent upon the day. It wasn't dependent upon the conditions. Just laugh about life. Rejoice. Have great joy. You can't have joy without laughter. Learn to laugh. Learn to enjoy life. And when you do, you'll help calm the fear and the anxiety down in other people's lives. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you today for every child of your family. Lord, we're in a world today that's full of chaos, and as a result of the chaos, it it may have affected some of us. So, Jesus, I pray today that you'd smile on your children. Let the light of your countenance smile upon us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that that we quit trying to find peace. That's what the world's looking for right now. But we start becoming the peacemakers of the world that we live in. We, we seize every opportunity we can to bring peace into somebody else's life. We use every opportunity we can to make sure that that we become what you ask us to be. So, Jesus, would you help me today to create peace in my world, in my home, in my family, whatever place I'm in where there may be some chaos, all I've got to really do is just smile at some people and all the chaos starts disappearing if I just choose to smile. So, Jesus, I pray today that you would help us to become the vessel of honor you created us to be. Would you bless every home? Would you bless every family during this time? Would you help us to remember all the good things that you've done? Lord, maybe we could take the time and opportunity to to talk about the good things you've done and, and the blessings that we've enjoyed and that we would rehearse them and recite them to those who are there of, of what you brought us through and how you brought us out. I, I thank you for everything. Thank you for being the comforter and the peacemaker. Would you bring peace into every home? Would you bring laughter into every home? Would you smile into every home tonight? In Jesus' name.